The following is a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. Before there was radio, TV, or podcasts, people gathered together to tell stories. These stories were meant to entertain or educate. It really drew people in and helped them forget their troubles of the day and experience something they've never imagined before or maybe illustrated something in a way that was more easily to mentally digest. This tradition has been reborn in the forms of not only RPGs and LARPs, but in console, card, and board games as ways to tell a story and bring you into the tale. We're going to be talking about news, kickstarters of games you should be aware of, and interview a guest about a topic that involves some aspect of storytelling. We welcome you to the Adventure Party. Hello and welcome to the 14th gathering of the Adventure Party on this, the 5th of July. I'm your party leader, Brad Ludwig. We ask that you peace tie your swords, holster your blasters, and make sure your mana is properly accounted for while you're at the meeting table. Uh, as always, the second in command here at the Adventure Party is Glenn Bittner. He is a movie reviewer on the YouTube show, The B-Movie Bunker, and the creator of the RPG Mist Runner. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good, baby. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> are you giving me the shaft voice today? You know it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See? Damn right. I heard that Glenn is one bad. Shut woman. your mouth. Talking about Glenn, baby. <laughs> this show's getting weird fast. It is. Sorry, and we, the, I hijacked your intro. And no, that's quite all right. The, the hijacker voice that you're hearing is uh, Terry Stevens, and he's the host of Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare on Rock 94.7. He is a commercial copywriter for radio commercials, uh, copyright law aficionado. Uh, He's a sounding board for uh, what I do in my day-to-day life. And uh, he is the assistant brand manager of said Rock 94.7 in Uh, Wausau, Wisconsin. I don't know what the hell they were thinking giving me that gig either, but here I am. (laughs) They were maybe desperate to fill a seat. probably. Very true. (laughs) Nikki can only do so much in a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I have to ask everyone, what is Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare? It is four hours of metal. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a metal guy. It's a metal show. It's a show I've wanted to host since I was like 12. And uh, yeah, now I get to play heavy metal music every Saturday night and like interview metal musicians. It's uh, it's one of those things that I wake up and I go, I can't believe I get paid to do this. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> you know, it, it was amazing when you went from a three hour show oh, yeah. and then you petitioned for four and people were like, mm, well, then the numbers came in for how fucking huge that show is you need to understand when i talk numbers and 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 terry can can fill in some of the blanks here when we talk about numbers there is a rating system uh just like uh nielsen ratings for tv programs uh they do the same for radio and for us we do it twice a year and uh if you were to have a show that has a 30 share that's really huge that's ridiculously huge. Right, and, that's and that's, and you're getting at least 30 
I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm doing good in the in the right demographics. And <laughs> I mean, ultimately, man, it's the it's about, you know, putting out something that people want. You know, it's about it's it's not me. You know, I don't bring my iPod to work and say, here are all my favorite songs. You know, you make sure that what you're doing is is what people want to listen to. And for some damn reason, people like listening to my goofy show. And, you know, and I, I'm very, very blessed and privileged to be able to do with this for a living and, and to be able to show up on cool podcasts like this, man. I'm looking forward to this. In addition to being a metal guy, I'm also like a, a total like nerd guy. I love all that stuff. You know, if it's got comic book characters or rolling polyhedrons, I'm all about it. <laughs> and um, and I'm, I'm a huge Magic the Gathering junkie. I, I have been addicted to the cardboard crack for some time. <laughs> and that's the reason why we brought Terry into this studio, not just for his sparkling personality, which is fairly Shine sparkling. It up a little bit. <laughs> there we go. Now it's sparkling. And he brings his own sound effects. He's really classing up the joint, I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, any sound effects I would do would be like in post. So yeah. he's, uh, he's doing it real time. That's what it's all about. I had a lot of beans yesterday, some of those sound effects. <laughs> Uh, so like we said, Terry is a huge Magic the Gathering fan, and I've had the good fortune of getting my ass kicked uh, a few times by Terry playing Magic. <laughs> no, I'm not on the pro tour or anything like that, uh, mainly because my wife would not let me spend that kind of money on those kind of cards. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 ha I, I can hang pretty, uh, pretty good at the kitchen table. Uh, so what we're going to do, and this is based on a conversation that Terry and I had at work. Uh, Terry and I work for the same organization, Midwest Communications. Their, their standards are so low. Yeah, I know. They, rank, they, they've let me stay for a lot of years. <laughs> and Terry, you're in the same boat. You've been there close to a decade now. I have so many naked pictures of the right people. <laughs> see that helps it keeps, it's, keeps it's not, around. Just, not uh, just so much that you do a good job it's that you have enough blackmail material oh to God, keep yeah, the money absolutely. rolling and I'm evil enough to use it <laughs> so Terry and I had a conversation I like some of the cards I have are from third edition so they're older mm -hmm. and uh, Terry was actually surprised the one time we played he's like you're actually playing with that card <laughs> I'm like well yeah and uh, over time, Terry and I have, have continued talking about nerdy stuff. And in fact, Terry is one of the people I've, I've tapped to be a part of uh, a future adventure party project that uh, is probably going to come to pass here in September. And we'll talk more about it later. Uh, but he was telling me, hey, you know, they had actual storylines to some of the expansions, to a lot of the expansions. And I thought, okay, now... The expansions I ended up picking were only picking up when I was still doing magic were just two. And to date myself, if you guys are Magic the Gathering fans, uh, Ice Age and oh. yeah, uh, Ice Age and what was the Middle Eastern? That would be Arabian Arabian Nights. Nights. Yes. yes. So old school. So I got to Arabian Nights and I realized uh, how much money I was spending on comic books and how much I was spending on magic. And I went, mm, I have to make a choice. And I chose comic books. You chose poorly. Yeah. there's <laughs> <laughs> Unlike comic books, there's actual investment material in older magic cards. Uh, so 
uh, that's where that's at. And I invited Terry to join us uh, to, to talk about some of these storylines that uh, were in Magic the Gathering. To me, it, to me, in my simplistic view, and I didn't really dive deep into Magic, it just seemed like they were picking settings. You know, they were just picking, oh, Ice Age, we should do something about that. Or, oh, dude, you know, I really, I saw, I saw Aladdin, uh, Disney's Aladdin. We should do something about that. I, it never really struck me that there actually was a storyline. Yes, there were characters and they, you know, talked a little bit about the background or, you know, maybe why this particular character can do that particular thing on the card. But I didn't think that there was an actual cohesive storyline behind them. So that's why we wanted to have Terry in here today is to set us straight on that and educate us a little bit about Lay some- the smacketh down <laughs> on your non-story no one ass. Yes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Sorry. Preach it, brother Terry. I had a lot of coffee on my way here. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, allergy meds too. I'm yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we want to officially welcome Terry to the adventure party. I feel so welcome now. Woohoo! <laughs> And there was much rejoicing. And there was much rejoicing. But uh, we're going to start off, as usual, with a game review from Glenn. What do you have for us this week, Glenn? All right. Give me an S. Give me an A. Give me an M. U R A I. What's that spell? Samurai. We got Samurai Spirit. Yes, we do. We got Samurai Spirit. How about you? Yes, well, I do. As a matter of fact, I have it sitting on the table. Uh, downstairs from me right now, we just played it last night, and we got our butts handed to us. Uh, <laughs> Samurai right. Spirit is a co-op game um, where we it's one to seven players, and you take on the roles of seven, possibly seven different samurai, which to those of you who are Kira Kurosawa fans might sound a little familiar. Yes. A uh, little bit different in that in this one, uh, he had furries, so... Um, <laughs> But uh, you are trying to save this village and the villagers from a group of bandits. Um, this one is made uh, it's by uh, Anton Bauza, who's actually one of my all-time favorite game designers. Um, if you've ever played Takinoko or Ghost Stories, or you may have heard of some oh. Yeah, Ghost Stories, actually. Uh, Rob Benton, who is... Uh, a guest, I think, on our second episode. I'm trying to keep it. See, we're getting more and more episodes, and now I'm like, I have to reach for it. Uh, but he picked up a copy of Ghost Stories and uh, said that it's a spectacular game. It is, and it's hard. Yeah. Uh, these, uh, Bowser makes he makes some very beautiful games, and his co-op games tend to be a bit more on the difficult side. This one is brutally difficult. Um, you lose the, you can lose the game if all of the farms get burned down. You can lose the game if all the villagers get killed. You can lose the game if any of the players die. Ooh. So unlike, unlike the movie Seven Samurai, and for those of you who haven't seen it, I'm spoiling it, it's been out for like 60 years, um, <laughs> almost all the samurai in that one die. So this yeah. one, you can't die. Um Different from Seven Samurai the movie is that if you take enough wounds, you unleash your animal side, basically making you more powerful to fight off the three waves of bandits, each one harder than the last. And Um, tapping into that furry demographic. (laughs) Um, Let's be real about why that mechanic's in the game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, and hitting that anime anime fans as well. 
Sure. Uh, yeah. And it wouldn't be Japanese themed if it wasn't somewhat weird and off putting. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, it's got a, it's got interesting mechanic to it. Is that you have you have a draw deck of bandits, which are going to have uh, numbers varying uh, in the start from one to four, and then you're going to add in in the second round the number fives, and then the last round number sixes. So what that is is that's how tough these bandits are. Okay. Now you get an option when you draw one. You can either fight it, meaning it goes on the right side of your of your board, and you have a what is it, like basically your your key line, which is how much basically damage or you know how much how many points of bandits you can fight. If that fills up and goes past the end, you're knocked out of the round. If it fills up and reaches the end exactly, it unleashes your you know your hidden key IE power, and you can do something really cool and special and stay in the fight a little longer. If you don't want to fight it, you can put it to the left side of your board because this is called defending. And many of the bandits have specific symbols on them. Some will have hats, some will have farmsteads, some will have villagers. And each player needs to defend against at least one of each of those symbols each round. Or you suffer bad effects. For every samurai that didn't have a hat, they're going to take a wound. For each samurai that didn't have a farm, you're going to burn a farm in the village. And for each samurai that didn't have a villager, you're going to kill a villager family. Now, you only start with three villager families, so that's the really important one. Because going through three rounds of this, you can't let three of them die. Um, but it also adds this nifty thing where each individual samurai has a special power. Um, for example, one guy's power is he can draw two bandit cards and face two at one time. Another person uh, can pass bandits off to the people next to him based on the numbers. And you can also share your power with another player. So instead of fighting a bandit, I can say, I'm going to support you. I'm going to give you my special power. You'll do this for a variety of reasons. One reason being is that many bandits that you fight have negative effects at the start of each time it comes back to your turn. That might be burning a barricade down or causing a wound. And I might have something that lets you ignore uh, cards that are numbered 2, 4, or 6. So I hand you my power because you have some bandit who's a number two who's going to cause you a wound, which might kill you. So I'll lend you my power so you don't die, thus us not losing the game. There's a lot of moving parts to this one. I mean, it's overall it's very simple when you look at it, but there's a lot going on because you have to manage everything so incredibly well to even have a chance of making it to the end. Um, I said we got our butts handed to us last night. That's... True in the fact that we let the villagers all die. It's not true in that it's actually the best I ever did because we actually made it to the final round, and we lost on the last two cards. Ooh. So I almost call it a victory because I have now played seven times and lost six, or I mean all seven, and the <laughs> seventh time was the closest ever come to winning. It's only the second time we even made it to the third round. Ooh. So it's it's pretty darn hard, and we're playing on the... We've played on the easy and the normal levels. There's there's a harder level, which I'm like, are you kidding me? How does anyone play this on a harder level? <laughs> and I'm sure there's someone out there right now going, oh, well, yeah, we played on the hardest level, and it's it's much too easy because uh, shut up, you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dude. I don't, I don't want to hear how you're better than me. Well, yeah. looking at this, and, and we talked about uh, the Game of Thrones board game, which you know, kiss seven hours of your life goodbye playing that game. That's a ridiculous amount of 
strategy planning, uh, resource management, if I recall correctly, because you have to build navies and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but looking at this, Samurai Spirit playtime is 30 minutes? Yeah, 30 minutes. Uh, maybe an hour if people are a little bit indecisive. But huh. I think we played for about an hour last night, and that was pretty good with for a six-player game where five of the people had never played before. Oh, wow. That you see now I would play I would play this. I you know, I have my attention span problems like I've said before, three more than 3 hours and I'm out. I got dibs on Raccoon Samurai. <laughs> he looks like he his, his special power has to be either giving someone rabies or digging through the bandits garbage. <laughs> That's Raccoon Samurai looks like he doesn't take any ish from anybody. Or or maybe he goes last all the time because he's just chronically washing his hands. Yeah, that's that could be. That could fiendishly washing his hands. <laughs> <laughs> What is he doing? He's wearing that mask. He's although, so although, sinister. Although bear samurai present also presents a very strong case because he's a bear. I mean, <laughs> that's I mean, if you're going to ultimate and transform into a kick-ass samurai, giant samurai bear is pretty unethwithable. That's uh, yeah. that's a solid pick. <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, okay. Um, and this came out. Oh, this came out last year. Yeah. So this is a very oh, new okay. game. Pretty, pretty darn new. And uh, do you know if Board Game Barrister has it right now? or? Of course they do, because I work there and I make sure we have it. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless <we> plug time. <laughs> Says the guy who plugged his radio gig. I should talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So favor favorable review for Samurai Spirit from, uh, from Fun Forge and Hobby World. Very interesting. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, Glenn. Appreciate that. Uh, next up, we're going to talk uh, a news story. Uh, we, we talk on and off about Shadowrun and how earlier editions were a great concept for every other class except for the Decker. The Decker is, as my grandpappy used to say, as useless as tits on a chicken. Um, but... Fifth edition uh, has uh, supposedly has ironed this out, and for as much as I poo-poo uh, Shadowrun, I would like to give Fifth Edition a try just to see how they've ironed out the how the Decker runs in a game. It ain't bad. Okay. They've integrated it a bit more, so instead of hey, I'm going to sit here and go into a coma and hopefully not get stabbed while everybody <laughs> with cool powers does something, <laughs> the Decker is actually it operates in some kind of virtual reality type setting. It's a little clunky, but I mean, at least it, at least it's integrated now. Yeah, a, a bit fun. more into what the rest of the other players are doing. Okay, well, at least they made them functional. Well, uh, this story kind of uh, piqued my interest, and this is from ShadowrunTabletop.com. Uh, Chrome Flesh, now available for PDF purchase and print pre-order. Uh, the Sixth World is, of course, a horribly dystopian place, but it, uh, but it also is a place where people face the wondrous possibilities of making entirely new versions of themselves. Any part of the metahuman body can be replaced, and the new augmentation sourcebook, Chrome Flesh, is your guide to all the possibilities. The cyberware, bioware, nanotech, gentech, and the host of new chemicals. That's, that intrigued me, because we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec here, what the chemicals are all about. This book gives runners dozens of ways to amp up their game and see just how much of their humanity they're willing to fritter away. Uh, 
we talked about Cyberpunk 2020 and uh, Shadowrun has the same uh, sort of mechanic. You have a certain amount of your humanity or uh, essence in the case of Shadowrun that you can give away. And every time that you add cyberware, you lose a bit of your humanity or your essence or your soul. And you can achieve cyber psychosis in Cyberpunk 2020, or you can achieve something pretty similar to that in Shadowrun. Uh, I think at the point where you give it all up, you just hand your character over to the GM <laughs> and it's done. It's now an NPC. I'm pretty sure this is the premise behind the uh, new Fear Factory album that's uh, due out this <laughs> summer on Nuclear Blast Records. <laughs> In fact, it, the the album name might be Chrome Flash. If not, it should be. That's, nice. <laughs> that's a good pick. Burton C. Nice. Bell, get on that. Let's see. Okay. Okay. Shadowruns cannot be limited to what they can do with their bodies, can or cannot do. From shiny chrome that makes your body into a humanoid semi-truck to Gentech that alters you at the most fundamental level to drugs and chemicals that give you a quick and dirty boost, Chrome Flesh provides dozens of new ways to alter Shadowrun characters and make them better, stronger, faster, and altogether readier to kick ass and take names on the streets. Along with the gear and a compiled table of all cyberware, bioware, gentech, and nanotech currently available in Shadowrun 5th edition, Chrome Flesh covers how runners break down and what resources can fix them up and where augmentation tech might go in the future. It's pay data every Shadowrunner needs if they want to overcome everything the sixth world is going to throw at them. Chrome Flesh is for use with Shadowrun 5th edition. So... Uh, it's basically a resource book to help you pimp out your character with some new and different things. Uh, I like the fact that they've added Gentech. I don't remember a whole lot. I think I played second edition Shadowrun. First or second? can't recall. But I don't think I remember there being uh, Gentech. You know, the line about the humanoid semi-truck tells me that you can turn into Optimus <laughs> Prime. And I think that's a win. <laughs> transform and roll out <laughs> you can't go wrong i mean this is a must-buy expansion if you want to be optimus freaking prime and shadow runs universe buy it ah <laughs> uh, all right for those of us that have played shadow run <clears throat> what and actually that would be all of us you played shadow run haven't you glenn oh uh yeah <laughs> first came out before anyone else had it my dad printed the book bitches <sighs> giving us the hipster run there all right i played shadow run when it was just shadow <laughs> we had to walk back then <laughs> back in my day <laughs> so uh based on this right up here do you think that this would make for a better game experience for shadow run i'm gonna start with you glenn um, I, I think these source books always, if, if it's done well, can make for a better game. It, it's, it falls under the same thing as uh, the various different treasure source books and whatnot, magical item compendiums you'd get for like D&D and such, is that in the hands of a good game master, this can be a great source to enhance the game. In a bad one, all of a sudden you have, you know, uh, basically four Optimus Primes running around that nothing can stop. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, it definitely has the potential for it. The, the thing is, is that players get a hold of these, and then they, they start making their little wish lists. And if you have good players, that's fine. They have the things that they, you know, 
they, they're you know, like good little kids. They'll save up their allowances and they'll buy the things they can afford. Um, and then when something might suck, they'll be like, well, that was a waste of all that money in essence. Um, <laughs> but you have other players that I've played with where they will want these things and they will just nag the, the game master relentlessly because they, they, well, why can't I get this thing? It's like, because you can't. I said so. And in this world, I'm God. God says no. Yeah. I, that's, that's always the thing. You as the game master should be able to say yes or no to certain source books or ways to pimp out your character, if, especially if it's going to make it too unbalanced with the rest of the party. And that power gamers are always the ones that, you know, fuck up everything for everybody. They get a new source book and turns it into shadow run Michael Bay edition <laughs> <laughs> with plenty most, of base explosions. Most yes. of the groups I've played with over the years, the simple rule was if the game master does not own the book, those things don't exist in the world. Okay. It's a good way to get people to buy you books. I applaud this strategy. <laughs> <laughs> that happened on more I than have that. something for you. <laughs> so yes, but yeah, it's it 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 they can these books can be great, and um, there's always always some cool stuff in there that you can always scavenge for other things too, which is why I loved the old uh, Chrome books that they had back in the day. I think they were called the Chrome Source Book and stuff like that, where they had all the different goodies you could get, and I love those just because. Oh. Some of the things were things I would never, ever use for my character, but I'm just like, well, that's pretty cool. Sure. I remember looking at some of the uh, the stuff for Cyberpunk 2020 and going, oh, that's brilliant, and and the structure of it. And then, of course, my you know, I'd show it to my game master, and he's like, oh, let me think about that, which was the smart way to play that. So uh, looking at this through uh, drivethroughrpg.com, uh, normally it retails for fifty. You can get the watermarked PDF for twenty-five bucks. So that's that's a pretty good deal. Better than a poke in the eye, <laughs> unless you like to have the you know an actual you know printed version. You'd like to have an actual book in your hand. Then you're going to have to wait just a little bit. The the PDF comes out first, obviously, because it's you know you don't have to print it. So. Uh, that you can get uh, in your hot little hands ASAP for 25 bucks. The print editions, you're just going to have to wait for a little bit. So It's been a while. What's the conversion to new yen from? <sighs> Let me check my cred <laughs> stick. Okay. See how much I've got on there. I <sighs> get my cred stick reader. There we go. <sighs> on that note, we're going to segue here into the Galactic Gaming News from Ryan Murphy. And uh, Ryan's a regular contributor to Galactic Netcasts, and he covers more of the digital beat of gaming, and he has a brand new update for us. So take it away, Ryan. Welcome to Galactic Gaming News for the week of July 1st. I'm your host, Ryan Murphy. Let's take a look at the headlines from out of this world. First off, happy Canada Day, or if you're listening to this when I actually recorded it, happy day after Canada Day. I was busy with festivities yesterday, and today I am back. And also, sorry for last week, missing it. E3 kind of messed up, so I figured we hit the ground running the week after. That didn't happen. So, next week, back to normal. But, first up, E3 2015 Leftovers with Horizon Zero Dawn. Probably my favorite showing from this year's E3 is Sony's new IP from Killzone Studio Guerrilla titled Horizon Zero Dawn. That's the weirdest title. Why wouldn't they just call it Horizon? Uh, maybe this is a prequel to Horizon Day After Dawn. 
or maybe the sequel is just anyways the game stars a strong and interesting female main character named alloy who in the demo hunts robot animals for what appears to be materials the game is set in a post post-apocalyptic world and features monster hunter style boss battles more please just more of this this sounds great it was my favorite thing at e3 and the whole post post-apocalyptic world where it is so far gone with the apocalypse that civilization or the human race has has learned to adapt and is now you know back in the caveman days it's really cool but if you haven't seen the demo from sony's stage go seek it out definitely worth a watch next up dying light takes on destiny and red bull with good old h2o we actually discussed this on the most recent gamers in which you can catch episode 174 i believe but let's get to the story Last week, Bungie and Activision announced a partnership with Red Bull that would allow the Fuel Guzzlers to unlock an exclusive quest in the new expansion, The Taken King. These sort of partnerships happen all the time, but more and more gamers are speaking out against them. On gamers' side is the developer behind Dying Light, Techland, with their hashtag Drink for DLC campaign. Unlike with Destiny, they're encouraging you to think a little healthier by asking fans to post photos of themselves drinking water. Best part, free DLC will be given away the more people post water drinking selfies. This is such a cool reaction to a really dumb move on Destiny's part. Now, Techland isn't getting any kickback from the company that brought you water, but they are getting what is very tough to get these days, and that's positivity on the internet and just kudos in general from the gamer community, and I think that's awesome. So more power to Techland, and I and really, go check out Dying Light. I had a lot of fun with it. It's probably one of the best zombie games from this year so far. Definitely check it out. Finally, our science fiction release takes us back to the Borderlands. With E3 a few weeks back and the summer gaming drought in full effect, science fiction releases are few and far between. But that doesn't mean we'll go an entire summer without getting our sci-fi fix. Telltale has released episode 3 of Tales from the Borderlands, and looks to be on track to wrap the series up shortly after summer concludes. If you're a fan of Borderlands and its writing style, check this series out. This has been Galactic Gaming News, a weekly segment for Galactic Netcasts. For everything I do, go to ryanmurphy.ca or follow me on Twitter, at rmurphy. If you're interested in more video game goodness, be sure to check out the Gamers Inn at gamersinpodcast.com. Each week, Jocelyn Moffat and I run down the games we've been playing, chat industry news, and take questions or comments from listeners like you. All right. Thanks for that report, Ryan. Really appreciate it. We're going to jump into our Kickstarter spotlight of the week, and we're going to recap last week's, which was Battalia which is one that Glenn bought, uh, brought to the table for us. And with 16 days to go, ah, they've crossed the threshold. They look to get $50,000 to make it happen. They are now at $56,039. So this is definitely a go. There's 16 days to go at the time of uh, this recording on the uh, 5th of July. So uh, you got some time to back the project, uh, 50 bucks and... Uh, Oh, good Lord. I'm sorry. 55 bucks. All the $50 uh, versions, uh, the pledge levels are all gone. So 55 bucks gets you in. Now, as I recall, this was a pretty much an international thing, sans the U.S., uh, but it, it was a really cool game. And uh, Glenn, refresh us on, uh, on, on Battalia. 
Uh, Battalia is a deck builder of sorts, where you are building up heroes and armies to conquer this little world, including uh, the board is actually made up of terrain cards with roads and cities and whatnot that you actually build the world as you play the game as well. So the, the actual game world is different every time you play. And then it comes with these nifty little minis to represent your heroes. As I said last time, you've got, you know, you got the guys riding bears, you got the, <laughs> the you know, Hydra chick lady, and you got the uh, sort of Native American dudes riding phoenixes. Um, and, yeah, they, it's it looks interesting in that there looks to be the fact that you pretty much have no two games will be the same because your world's going to turn out different every single time you play it. Um, and I don't know what they're doing on the stretch goals, I think. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Um, trying to get through. Okay. Oh, so right. hit one already. Yes. Yeah. They've Actually, they've unlocked two now. They've unlocked the ruins card, oh, yeah. which is an additional ruins card for uh, the game scenario. And then they've got the bleeding horn of destiny. Uh, it's a massive volcano peak bleeding lava uh, streams day and night. This is a complete new scenario with an alternative uh, game end condition. It's a very metal sounding scenario. It's the bleeding, bleeding. volcano. <laughs> uh, wait a second. I said that they crossed over at 56,000, didn't I? Uh, yeah, somebody they just, they just got the just bleeding unlocked the third. Yes. So a follow-up, more bleeding, more horns of destiny. <laughs> um, uh, it's a, another va massive volcano peak that we just kind of mentioned before, but it's a new scenario and it's built on, you know, just like the other one, on nine, <clears throat> excuse me, nine cards. And uh, expect the final art in the next days. So they're going to show off a little bit more of that here in just a little bit. Uh, oh God. And then right around the corner, Horn of Destiny 3, Horn of Destiny 4. I, I, you know, I get the distinct feeling that they're probably going to unlock. If I were to hazard a guess, I would say they're going to get up to Horn of Destiny 4 at the rate that they're running right now. At least, I mean, the fact that each stretch goal is only like one or two thousand dollars above the last one. Yeah, yeah, it's completely doable. And uh, God, the artwork on these are just gorgeous. There's there's a lot of wonderful things happening here. And yeah, it is a Kickstarter staff pick, so <clears throat> you know that it's a big deal. Um, and uh, like we said, it's a multinational game, and they're gonna have they have instructions for the game in Spanish, Italian. Bulgarian. I mean, a lot of different uh, rules books are going to be available for folks to, yeah. to be able to play this game. And the beauty of it is there's no language on the cards. There are numbers and there are symbols. So knowing check is not required. If you were to buy this game in Bulgaria, it wouldn't, well, your rules book would not be readable, but you'd be able to download that, I'm sure, somewhere or get a copy of it. It's going to be a slightly tough sell in Wisconsin, though, because the Bear Riders are wearing green and gold, and that ain't going to set right up here. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. They, they, should, they, they should have picked different colors for the Bear Riders. Well, yeah, you got, you got you know, No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, who's the boss? The guy on the bear obviously is the one in control. Who's your daddy, and I, what does he do? I suppose I think that, but but is the bear? I think the bear has some say in that because you're only on that bear until he doesn't want you to be there anymore. <laughs> there may be a, I don't know. There may I be some mutual agreement. Different. 
There, there is a solution to this, though. You can paint them. Yes. Paint slap the bear. Slap a slap a base coat on there and uh, paint it however you want to paint it. Just uh, we'll call up JF Debo and uh, he'll he'll walk us through it. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so like I said, as of this point in time, there's 16 days left to go. They've definitely made their pledge goal level. And if you back this project at $55, you definitely got this game. It is happening. So uh, check it out. The link will be in the show notes for you to be able to jump in there and take a, take a look at it. Or you can just go to kickstarter.com and type in Battalia, B-A-T-T-A-L-I-A. All right. And that brings us to our actual game that we're going to spotlight this week. And that game is called Wasteland Playing Cards. Now, I figured we were going to talk about Magic the Gathering today, and that is a collectible card game. Uh, this is really interesting. So for 16 bucks, you get in on this. 16 bucks gets you the Desert Ranger Edition Playing Card deck. Their goal that they were looking for was 25000 with 25 days left to go, they're at 60,000. <laughs> so I don't recall what the maximum, uh, maximum time limit that you can have on Kickstarter, if it's 30 days or what, but uh, that's ridiculous. So, I mean, if you, if you spend the money, you're getting this product because it is definitely a go. And um, some of this, some of these, uh, Stretch goals here. They've unlocked the full vinyl Big Baby sticker. What is the vinyl Big Baby sticker? Oh, that's creepy. Okay, let's talk about Wasteland, and then we'll get into what the stickers look like. All right. Sorry, I'm jumping the gum there. I was so excited. Uh, here's what the deal is. Over a year ago, Brian Fargo of In Exile Entertainment and uh, Jackson Robinson of King's Wild Project starred in a feature-length documentary about crowdfunding entitled Capital C. The film followed the journey of three unique crowd-funded uh, campaigns, including Brian Fargo's Wasteland 2 project and, uh, and uh, Jackson Robinson's Federal 52. So they hit it off really well, and they decided that they were going to do a game together that uh, Jackson Robinson would illustrate a deck of cards inspired by the story and characters of Wasteland 2. Uh, it was uh, an easy fit from the beginning uh, because uh, Jackson's a huge gamer and he's worked in the gaming industry for a long time. So they put this project together. Uh, 12 bucks. Okay, here's, here's the different levels that you can get in on. 12 bucks gets you the Radioactive Edition. 16 gets you the Desert Ranger Edition. 24 gets you two radio, uh, 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 Radioactive Editions. 28 bucks gets you one of the radioactive and one of the desert rangers. Uh, you know, it would really help to know more. I uh, looking at this now to know what uh, wasteland two is all about. Well, I can tell you, I have it on my computer. Oh, it's a PC game. All right. Yeah. There, so what, you had, you had wasteland one, which was the, that was the granddaddy of uh, post-apocalyptic computer RPGs. It came out. Uh, I played it on my Commodore 64. <laughs> okay. So, um, and just last year, they released uh, Wasteland 2, which is uh, it's turn-based, uh, top-down, you know, set in an, an apocalyptic world. I mean, Fallout pretty much was born off the idea of, I mean, it's just a much yeah. better graphically enhanced version of the Wasteland games. Okay. 
know, it's in a blasted wasteland of America. Um, in this game, you play the Desert Ranger, which is kind of like the the law that moves around through the well, through the wastelands, basically. Okay. Okay. Nice. So we've got a post-apocalyptic radioactive world, not unlike Fallout, um, as a, as a point of reference. And now we've got it instead of as a computer game, as a card game, which, and it's not a collectible card game. It is, uh, it is, you get a deck and, uh, you, you play with that deck. That seems pretty straightforward. (laughs) Yeah. But it's got really cool art. Yeah. The, the artwork and I'm going to, I'm going to do a screen share for folks that are actually watching us in video form here on YouTube. And uh, here is like a Joker that is a <laughs> creepy looking baby doll with a jester cap with bells on the ends of it. And it's so holding a three of clubs. <laughs> uh, okay, I got it. They're actual. Oh, they're actual. Oh, yeah, they're playing they're cards. They're actually playing cards. Well, now I feel like a complete nutter jackass. Hey, do you like to play poker with really crazy artwork on cards? This is for you. They should do these at the casino. They absolutely should. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine like the, the big fun bus from like the senior citizens homes driving out to uh, one of the casinos around here? Like, <laughs> I'm going to play a few rounds of me, uh, the poker there. And then, then, then the, here comes the Joker, baby. No, I think that's that, you know, some one of the casinos. I won't name them by name because they probably don't want me called out by me on this. But <laughs> buy these cards, run them at poker night. Oh, yes, God. absolutely. That's OK. Gotcha. See, now. I have this weird, I don't want to say addiction, but I, I, I do have a number of different card sets um, that are different artwork. I've got uh, the card set that uh, Pat Rothfuss put out uh, with, with his world. And then I've got that same company put out other decks of playing cards with different artwork on it. And so I've got a small... It's not really, I mean, I would play with them. I'm not going to collect them and not, you know, just show them to people from time to time. I would actually play with them. This would be fun for just a a poker night you're going to have with some friends or playing cribbage and you just want to freak people out. Oh, you're thinking too small. This makes Go Fish so much more interesting. You got Joker, baby? Nope. Go Fish. Go Fish in the Wasteland. Old maid, old Joker, baby. I'm telling you. Excuse me. So, yeah. Well, there you go. It's a done deal. So the Wasteland Playing Cards by Jackson Robinson, or illustrated, sorry, by Jackson Robinson. Very interesting. So if you are a fan of Wasteland 1, well, mostly 2 at this point, um, this is definitely for you. Not much more to say about that. So I think we are going to move on with our discussion with our guest, Scary Terry Stevens. Yes. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, like my expertise on this game is basically just based on playing it. Um, and that's fine. And it's, um, I, I got to say, man, um, Magic the Gathering has been part of my life since freaking Ice Age. A uh, buddy of mine got me into it. And I've been hopelessly addicted ever since, man. <laughs> um, I, I'll tell you, the first time uh, the first time he tried to teach me how to play the game, I'm like, why can't I attack the creatures? And I mean, there's, it's not the most intuitive thing in the world. I mean, you know, these days people, you have a lot of people who play like Hearthstone. Um, yeah. That's, uh, but uh, 
once I got it, once I dealt some damage, once I countered a spell and, and got into the interactivity and the strategy, hooked ever since, man. Absolutely hooked. And um, the, um, the mythology behind the game is it, I, I love the creative part, uh, the, the creative part of it too. Not just the um, the storyline stuff. That's all really neat, and yeah. it's amazing. They they have an incredible creative team at Wizards of the Coast. But the creative process that goes into making several new sets of cards every year yeah. that work within a defined set of mechanics and color identities that the Magic's color pie is brilliant i mean there's a reason this is the granddaddy of all collectible card games it is like nobody likes being mana screwed yeah no <laughs> i hate it with a passion yeah but the mana system and the color pie are freaking brilliant they they, they um I, I just mechanically it were it, it works for me um like i've I've tried Yu-Gi-Oh! and found that I was way too old to be playing that. <laughs> Pokemon came around. Uh, Pokemon came around after I was had already aged out of that demographic. Yeah. So I've been not nonstop magic. I think I tried that really crappy Star Wars game. That uh, oh, I don't even yeah, remember who Star made it. Star Wars. Uh, I have. I had the Star Trek Next Generation uh, Yeah, you basically like game. cycle through the deck to cast things. And that was a dumpster fire. I wasn't feeling that. But um, MTG has just been... I, I read uh, Mark Rosewater's uh, design articles every single okay. Monday. Uh, those are absolutely worth the read. If you do creative stuff for a living, I mean, hell, I have to write commercials every day. And <laughs> commercials come with a very... With a very um, predefined limits you know hey it, it can only be 60 seconds it can't be less it can't be more it, it can only be 30 seconds can't be less can't be more it has to include those bullet points um that the client gave me or whatever yep. magic's the same way red doesn't get to cast counter spells um no matter how cool you think it would be <laughs> for red to throw fireballs and counter everything red doesn't do that you know black doesn't uh uh, black does a lot of things, but for a price, you know, but that's yeah. part of its identity. If you're going to design a black card that um, drains life from people, you got to figure out a way to make that mechanically work. Sure. So, and have it be balanced and work yeah. with the previous. Well, expansion. they don't always get the balance part, well, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that in just a second. More often than not, though, they yeah. seem to get it pretty good. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. And the color pie is a big part of that. It's yeah. a big part of making that uh, big part of making that game work. Um, uh, Mark Rosewater has a, um, a great saying, and I, and I, I use it all the time. Um, he one of his favorite sayings is uh, restrictions breed creativity. And I think that's true. I think when you have that predefined set, it makes your brain work harder. You're like, yeah. all right, here's the box. Here are the rules. How am I going to break them? Yeah. And I like when I build decks, I do that the same way. I, I look at some jank card. I'm like, oh, this sucks on the surface, but I bet I can break the shit out of this. <laughs> Sorry, I cursed on the no, podcast that's there. Fine. Okay, that's... we'll fix it in post. There fuck, 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 fuck. Right. <laughs> We're good. Um, so I, again, I, like I, I have a lot of passion for this game. It's, um, it's, it's fun as hell as a creative, as a, as a creative work. I think it's brilliant. Um, and it's come such a long way yeah. since the beginning too. Um, but, and I could go on about the mechanics and all that forever, but we're here to talk story, man. We're here yes. to talk story. And well, it's good to have a base reference for folks that, you know, maybe they're not, they're more into the RPGs and we, 
on this podcast, we cover, you know, CCGs, card games, board games, RPGs. If that's not necessarily your bag, that's fine. And we wanted to kind of talk to people that also, if you're just an RPG person, well, you know what? There's a storyline behind magic as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's why I really wanted to, to talk a, about that. Yeah, there's a there's a whole universe there. Um, the majority of what's happened in the universe of Magic the Gathering has happened on one plane, uh, Dominaria. That's where Urza came from. And if you look at old cards, if you look at your older collection, the name Urza pops up all over the place. Oh, yes. And the way that they work the story into the cards early on is um, when you you cracked open a booster of magic cards and you're flipping through, you're going to look at the mechanics. You're going to see, hey, this artifact gives me, hey, gives me life every time I cast, every time I cast a red spell. Oh, that's kind of cool. But as you sit there and you, and you fiddle with your cards more, you start looking at that, the text in italics. You start looking at that flavor text. And back then, because it was such a new product, you felt like you were like digging through a history book and learning about this world, almost like an archaeological dig. You sure. know, you're, you're, you're getting these bits and snippets. And there was... I don't know. There was a bit. There's a bit. Uh, a bit of romance to that. You know. That was. Um, I've always said that that which is discovered is so much more powerful than that which is told. Sure. And those those little nuggets of discovery. Well, brilliant move on Wizards part. It made you want to buy more friggin' cards. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Who is this Urza guy? I must know more. <laughs> Give me all of your boosters. Um, and they were they were really good about that in the early days of Magic. Um. Ah, now, were things my relationship with with Magic Story? I, I have kind of a love hate relationship with it. Um, those early expansions, like Ice Age, and um, and of course when they went off plane, when they went off Dominaria to Arabia, where Arabian yeah. Nights was set, or they went to Homelands, which was set in a place with really underpowered cards that nobody <laughs> freaking plays. I mean, seriously, Homelands had like one card that people will still play today because it was such a Ooh. It's just a bad set, but it, flavor-wise, it had a really it had a really neat story. Okay, and that, I think that I, I, I talk to a lot of people who um, a lot of fellow players who are like, "Man, Homeland sucks so bad," but the story was kind of cool. It had a, a really cool mythology to it, so they were they were pretty good about about making like resonant flavors and that okay. sort of thing. Sure. Um, they did get away from that for a while, though, making the cards like act how you would expect that creature to act like back uh, back in the early days of the game when they made a dragon that breathed fire they represented it mechanically it tied the mechanics into the flavor so well hey you pump more red mana into this thing hell yeah it's gonna blow fire all over the place you sure. know yep. they kind of got away from that they got away from resonance for a long time um storyline wise where it started to in i want to say let me think Weatherlight wasn't too bad about it, but Tempest Block. Tempest Block, when they started the, when, when the Weatherlight Saga really took off, the Weatherlight Saga centered around a bunch of characters in the game. Okay. And for, and it tied in Urza a bit too. And the Weatherlight Saga went for block after block after block. And for like years, it just, the sets followed the adventures of these characters. Okay. And it got to the point where, the storyline was so front and center on the cards that for me, it made me feel like, hey, this set isn't really 
about me being a planeswalker and checking out all these different worlds, I feel like I'm reading a comic book and <laughs> on really tiny cards with really tiny sure. art. Okay. And it it just it for me personally, it took me out of it. And magic, when they uh, when they and and they've gotten away from that now. Uh, the Weatherlight Saga wrapped up um, after a few blocks. It wrapped up in the uh, the Apocalypse set, and then there was some. And they stuck around in Dominaria a little bit longer, in Odyssey and and Onslaught block, and um, then uh, in Mirrodin, it, it, they started to really mess with the. They 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 got the storyline out of front and center. And instead of seeing the same characters popping up on every single damn card, you started to see like really cool, like artifacts and cool critters and stuff. And the flavor text wasn't about some guy's adventure. It was about what this critter does, you know, or okay. its relationship to the plane. And to me, that brought the discovery angle back into it again. Um, sure. okay. and, and they've refined that and they've gotten so much better about it. Um, the Urza mythology. I mean, I, you've only got an hour in this podcast, and I mean, <laughs> and, I, and you know, I don't want to spoil it for people who still who are new to this game. Like, oh, what's this all about? The Weatherlight Saga is really cool. It's damn long. It really is. It takes it takes some twists and turns, and some of those twists and turns are like, all right, let's get this over with and get onto a different freaking plane already. <laughs> um, but um, once the once the Urza Saga, once the Weatherlight Saga wraps up, they started taking us to more planes instead of just hanging out on dominaria all the time we went to places like mirrodin and the cool thing about mirrodin um they really started to and they really started to improve things on the on the design side making sure the blocks had like they, they were just they were tighter designed had they had more overarching themes um okay. And with Mirrodin, that was my block, man. I love Mirrodin block because <laughs> it's an artifact block. Damn near oh. every card you crack is an artifact. And sure. when I want to create a machine of destruction, I, I go straight to the artifact. I loved, I, I built an artifact deck way back in the day. Um, of course, you know, I'd run into people with a whole, you know, a whole bunch of shatters that yeah, would just yeah. screw you over. Shatterstorm, that yeah. would do it too. Oh, yeah, yeah, God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, God, I remember having a deck that I can't remember what the other color was, but it was um, basically it was I was using one of uh, Urza's mines. I think that's mm -hmm. what it was. Yep. So it gave you whatever color mana you wanted to turn it to be. If I recall, that's not quite how Urza's mine works. <laughs> oh, well, it's been it. and, and I have I have just the two decks left. Yeah, and yeah. I think you played against both of them. Okay. Yeah. And they're never going to change. And yeah. I think that one of those decks has Urza's mines in it. There were. There's three There's, lands, Urza's Mine, Urza's Tower, Urza's Power Plant. Uh, when you have all three of them in play, they produce Buku colorless mana. Yes, that's and how that's, that, works, that yeah. was the structure of, of that particular deck is, you know, I had a whole bunch of that. So once I started getting all those out, then I started having mana to do all sorts of fun things. Yeah, you start dropping bombs. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the thing with the thing is with Mirrodin block is it was kind of sort of tied to Dominaria in a way. So we were st we were still tied sort of to that old storyline. But then when they did Kamigawa block, that was set in. I mean, a lot of um, a lot of magic storyline has some foundations in Western mythology. There's no secret. I mean, the very first set had like Cyclopses and and, sure. and Griffins and that sort of yep. thing, right? Um, and for the most part, it stuck with that, even when they did uh, Mirage Block, which had um, a lot of a African mythology in it, too. Yes. Yep. You still saw griffins and stuff all over the place, you know. Um, Kamigawa Block was pretty sweet. That one was more of a let's let's let the flavor, let's let the story 
determine what these cards are going to do. And they use Japanese mythology and, and use this world that was half spirits, half mortals. And it was a really cool block flavor wise. The story was, the story was pretty cool for once a, um, a, 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 a character that was centered on black mana was the protagonist instead of, okay, oh. here's this black mana. He must be the bad guy. Yeah, you know? Okay. Um, don't get me wrong. The main character had questionable morals, of course, but um, <laughs> I just made it more interesting, but Kamigawa block uh, as from a flavor standpoint, it was like a home run mechanically. It was a mess because it didn't play well with other blocks. There's not, I mean, especially oh, after sure Mirrodin with all those artifacts. And then the next block had zero interaction with it. Uh, they've thankfully wizards has gotten smarter about that. They have a more overarching block design where they make sure that the next block can play nice with the other one, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's smart marketing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Kamigawa, full of flavor. And that's where that's where I think it really they really just started to push it more on the flavor side. Uh, from there they they went to Ravnica block. Ravnica, way fun. Um, it was this uh, one, of my, it's a, one of my favorites is Ravnica. Oh, Ravnica is a, a brilliant block. Brilliant freaking block. I mean, with with the the guilds. Just to break it down for you mechanically, okay. um, city-based plane, the, the planes uh, run by 10 guilds, each based on the two color pairs. Ooh. So there's a blue-red guild, there's a black-white guild, etc. So there's, <laughs> there's allied color guilds, enemy colored guilds too. And each guild had its own mechanic too. Okay. To make, I mean, like the flavor wise, because and from a from a storyline standpoint, um, Ravnica had a pretty cool story. I mean, with all these guilds and all the machinations of everybody. Sure. But the way they did it on the cards, it wasn't all up in your face all the damn time. Okay. They would have a legendary. Uh, of course, they would have a creature card for like the main character, and that yeah. would be a legendary character. But you wouldn't see him in every single freaking card, and that was the difference. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. So, like, um, oh, what's his name? Um, the guy who runs the Boros Legion and Ravnica. If this was Tempest block, it, it, you know, uh, Gerard was one of the was the main protagonist of uh, of the Weatherlight Saga. Gerard would have his card, but then he would also show up on every other friggin' card. And it's like, all right, we get it. This guy's the protagonist. <laughs> Can we please go back to some of that discovery? And, and it's um, and, and when you crack packs of Ravnica, you're exploring the city. You're exploring the okay. world. You know. Um, now, I, just so we're talking, so sure, we're yeah, using yeah, yeah. the same language. When you talk about block, we're talking about the particular expansion, like Mirage or like Ice Age. When I say block, there's okay. They've changed the the block design over the years. Some okay. blocks had three expansions. Some blocks have one big one, one small one. They're still they've been tweaking that over the years. So when I say block, Ravnica had three expansions within the Ravnica universe. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, they've okay. recently switched from that because they discovered that when you keep players in a block for three friggin' expansions, there's some serious, for one thing, there's player burnout when you yeah, get to the third. Yep. And for another, mechanically, it's tough to design that third block because all the good ideas are used up in the first two. And then sure, you're, you're yeah. just like stretching at that point, you know? Okay, that makes so sense. So th- they switched to a different block design. Um, after Ravnica, they went back to Dominaria again for Time Spiral. And then they um, they went to this uh, plane called Lorwen, 
which was like high fantasy based like this they were like <laughs> like there were little elves and crap running around like they had they had like hobbits they were called kithkin okay. and they were adorable and the set did not sell well oh. because nobody wants to play with adorable <laughs> <laughs> I, I want something that looks like the stuff of nightmares in my deck are you kidding me um and they've jumped to other planes since then. And with Lorwyn, the interesting thing about Lorwyn block, that's where they introduced Planeswalker cards. Okay. So, you know, prior to that, it, when you played Magic the Gathering, you were the Planeswalker. Your opponent was a Planeswalker. Yep. You were the Planeswalkers in the universe. Introducing the Planeswalker cards takes the story and it, 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 it does something cool to the story because... Not only is there a story to follow within the block itself of the characters within the world of, say, Lorwyn or Alara or, um, oh gosh, or where, where they go, or Zendikar. Yeah, there are obviously characters in that world that you're following around. Okay. But jumping between these worlds are all these planeswalkers. Um, and they have this overarching story that jumps into these other blocks too. So there are two storylines that you can get with, you know, and if you want to find out what happens with your planeswalkers like Jace Balaran or uh, Chandra Nalar, you kind of need to buy into the next set to see what they're going to do oh, too. Okay. So sure. even if, even if you're not really feeling the block, you still might want to check it out to see what kind of cool planeswalker stuff's going to go on. Um, from a from a story and and flavor standpoint, the the block that I recommend above, as far as modern uh, blocks go, Anastrad block was so well done from a flavor and story standpoint. It was um, based on horror movie tropes. Oh, and mechanically. They, it was just brilliant. The vampire cards acted like you would expect a vampire card to act. The werewolf cards, they had they printed double-sided cards that you would flip from human to oh, werewolf mode sure, if yeah. stuff happened. So like, yeah, so like there's a oh gosh, what well, there's the like the zombie cards, they replicate and they make more zombies. There is a there is a <laughs> they, they introduced uh, back in Mirrodin, they inter introduced a card type called equipment. Um, hmm. you, you know, enchantments, right? You yeah. plop one on your creature and it gives it some bonus equipment's kind of like an enchantment, except when you plop it on your creature and that creature dies, the equipment's still there. You can plop it on another creature. Oh, sure. Okay. So just to tell you, just to, just to give you an idea of how just spot on the flavor was for this block. Um, <laughs> there is an equipment card called wooden stake that you could instantly kill vampires or zombies or whatever. And that's just, they, they made it a point to go through all the horror movie tropes that you would expect and sure. design that stuff around it. It had a cool storyline too. You had, uh, you, the, of course the planeswalkers were there, but there was also this like angel that used to protect the place. And she was fighting some demon. I don't want to spoil it. Cause it's a freaking cool story. <laughs> okay. Way cool story. But um, yeah, man, uh, Innistrad, uh, just an absolute home run uh, as far as top-down design and, and making, letting the cards tell a story, but, but not letting that story get in the way of the players. And, for, and for, here's the thing. For me, like my, my favorite story is the one that you tell around the table. Sure. To me, that's my favorite magic story. You know, like we were playing... Um, my brother-in-law was up and my, uh, my kids and I, we were playing with him and um, we were playing uh, the planes chase format where you, um, 
It's a multiplayer format. There's a deck of planes chase cards and each plane causes different stuff to happen to the game state. And that stuff can be either really good for you or really bad for you, depending <laughs> okay. on what your deck's doing. We were playing a two headed giant team mode. And when you from a, when you have my brother-in-law and my son scrambling to jump off of this plane <laughs> and my daughter and I are just cackling like the little villains that we are. That's the story, man. That's that's the story of two planeswalkers teaming up to destroy some dynamic evil duo of planeswalkers <laughs> and scrambling to get the hell off this plane before they kill us all. Uh, my daughter and I won that game. We were feeling pretty good. About there you that. go. <laughs> but it, it, but it's, you know, it's that or it's the I, I run a, a bird tribal deck and every time I run it, I just imagine this goofy planeswalker who is covered in bird shit. <laughs> he's, just, he's God. He can't be the. He's, he can't be intimidating at all. He's like he's like the the Radagast the Brown. He only filthier from uh from the the Hobbit movies. Okay, you know? yeah. He's just, he's just disgusting looking. But damn, he wins games. <laughs> um, but to me, that that's the best story. Um, I saw you had a, a question in your prep here for me. If there's any storyline that I'd love to see them go back to, yeah, Kamigawa. Okay. I would like to see Kamigawa done right. Because I think the setting was so cool. So cool. I don't know if they'll ever do it just because that block was such a stinker. Mm. It, I mean, it did really well in Japan. Sure. I, <laughs> I, I bet. I bet. The Japanese edition of Kamigawa cards, they sell for a tidy sum. Because, again, it was it was resonant, you know. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I, I would love to see them. Uh, I'd love to see Kamigawa remixed and fixed. And, and maybe Homelands, too. But I don't have much hope for Homelands. That, that block was... <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure it died in the storyline. Oh, spoiler. It, it, is, it is the Highlander 2 of Magic the Gathering. Oh, oh. it's so bad. It's so bad. Bar Baron Singer was kind of a cool card. I mean, it's way overcosted for what he does, but uh, yeesh, yeah. And Merchant Scrolls, the only good thing to come out of that block. <laughs> or, I'm sorry, that expansion. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the new set, though, I shouldn't say new. Um, I think, I believe it's next week is the pre-release for uh, Magic the Gathering Origins. Ooh. And if you're looking to get into the game again, this is going to be the last what they call core set. Now, the core set, they go over past expansions and they grab, they, they cobble together a set and they design new cards for it too. It used to be okay. when you buy a core set, it was just a bunch of reprints. They finally started making new cards for them to make this set better to draft. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, the neat thing about Origins from a storyline standpoint, they're going back to the beginning of five of the main planeswalkers in the game. There, there are five. There's one for each color that are that they're following for this particular um, this particular core set. And you're going back to the moment. At, the way the planeswalkers work um, today, they didn't always work like this, is that you're a normal human being. Maybe you have some magical ability. Maybe you don't. Um, but something happens to trigger your spark. And once your planeswalker spark ignites, it's usually caused by something traumatic or whatever. Sure. Okay. And you jump to a new plane. And then you're like, what the just happened? <laughs> <laughs> and okay. you sort it out. And the, the Origins cards... Um, they tell the story of how these five characters went from being just regular schmucks to planeswalkers. And they, of course they're represented by flip cards. So they start okay. off and they start off as normal schmucks and then something, and then you uh, fulfill some sort of thing. And then they flip to being badass planeswalkers. And it's um, again, if you're looking to get into it and to dig into the backstory of the characters that are part of this, this huge overarching storyline, which again, it's not intrusive. It's not like, 
the friggin' Weatherlight Saga, where you've got these <laughs> same characters all up in your grill on every single damn card. It's nowhere near as obtrusive as it used to be. But Origins is absolutely the time to jump in. It's it's fun. And, and because I am committed to making sure that everyone I know is addicted to cardboard crack, I have uh, purchased for you, sir, a Magic the Gathering <sighs> Deck Builders Toolkit. <laughs> And that has, uh, it's got some good starter spells. It's got a buttload of land. And um, you should probably just consider the second mortgage now. Because. <laughs> Curse you, Terry <laughs> Stevens! Yes! Curse you! Well, I couldn't, couldn't show up as a guest on the show and not bring a <laughs> podcast warming gift. Oh, well, that's very kind there of you, you Terry. Thank I know, you. I know this place is cluttered and I'm adding more to the cluttered, hey. but uh, yeah. Yeah, if I could wheel this camera around, everybody would go, Jesus, you live in this? Uh, <laughs> Right now, <clears throat> what you can't see is that uh, Anessa, who is on uh, the Alien Invasion and the Sci-Fi Geeks Club podcast with me, uh, as well as some other folks, uh, we've been tweaking out the Nerditorium studio and adding some more shelving because she and I have a lot of knickknacks. If you're watching the video version of this now, you can see we got into Funko Pop. So we've got like all the X-Files the four X-Files Funko Pop right in front of us and uh, the vision from the Avengers film. And uh, if I were to turn my camera just a little bit further over, you could see all of the DC Comics action figures that I have behind where Terry Stevens is sitting. And he's probably going to go, you can see, you've kissed a girl? You can Jeez. see why well, I can see uh, why Anessa was like, oh, yeah, this is the guy from yeah, me. This he collects is, toys. Yes. Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't live in his mom's basement <laughs> yet, too. That's a horrible stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know I own my own damn basement and I live in it when my <laughs> wife and kids are sick of me. That's, <laughs> uh, that's always my running joke. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, we, we, we've kind of torn things apart. And of course, when you decide to reorganize stuff, you got to gather all your crap into one area and sort back through it and find a new home for it. And we have a lot of homes for stuff. And now we just uh, finished rebuilding, you know, building these shelves. And uh, my son, uh, we worked on his room too. So this house is a freaking disaster area, but it's, I've seen worse. I got two kids. I've seen way worse, way worse. It's, it's getting far better. <laughs> so this is a cool feature on your show. So people get to tell you about their favorite, like RPG character. Yes. Get out of here. This yes. is awesome. So that's the, uh, that's the running sort of, uh, thing that we have. Haven't really had a whole lot. We've had one person, uh, send us in there. <laughs> And thank you to Daryl Johnston of uh, of the UK for for being such a trooper and a loyal listener to all of the Galactic Netcast shows. Yes, hello, my name is, and that's where you can go to galacticnetcasts.com and you uh, find the Adventure Party page, and there is a link there that uh, the logo says, hello, my name is. You click that, there's a short little form I have you fill out that is basically asking about who you are who your favorite character was that you played in an RPG or any other kind of game that has some RPG feel. It doesn't have to be pencil and paper. Maybe you've played a computer RPG and you created a kick-ass character that you really loved playing. We want to hear about that. The one thing that I've found is that the stereotype is everybody wants to tell you about your, your character, but nobody really wants to hear about it. Well, we do. And that's what we're trying to do here Aww. is everybody in the community can talk about their favorite characters and you get a sounding board and you can talk about that, which you enjoyed playing. So yes, I do ask for an email address, but I do not spam people. 
I have no desire to set up an account to do that. The only purpose for asking for your email address is I will be sending you a certificate that uh, through the email that you can print out and, and tack up on your wall or put in a frame if you so desire that says that you were on the show, we featured your character, and uh, to thank you for taking the time to do that. I'd bring it to the club. Ladies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been on the invention. Bonus, bonus points if your character has an ogre slaying knife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you can go right now to galacticnetcast.com, go to the Adventure Party page, and you can find the link for Hello, My Name Is. We'd really appreciate you taking the time to do that. I uh, want to thank Terry for taking time out of his week uh, away from his children and wife. No, nah, they don't like me that much anyway. <laughs> this one's fine. No, this was, this was fun, man. This is cool. You know, I usually uh, I don't get to talk about gaming stuff as like part of my normal job because nobody who listens to my show wants to hear that. They usually just want me to shut the hell up. Um, but no, this was fun, man. This is absolutely fun. This was cool. No, I appreciate you coming to, to do the show. And uh, I do stop up to Terry's office from time to time. And when we've both had a our brains have been completely sucked at the will to live and the will to work for like five to 10 minutes. And we'll just shoot the breeze for a little bit. And it's usually ends up talking about gaming or, or something nerd related. So that's why Terry's a kindred spirit. And I really wanted to get him on the show to, to do that. So I appreciate you doing that. Thanks man. Um, if I didn't suck too bad, have me back sometime. It was a good time. Absolutely. I'll have you back. Um, where can people find out more about Scary Terry's show or anything else? All right. Here's the deal. <clears throat> Scary Terry's Saturday Nightmare is on every Saturday night from 8 until midnight, Central Standard Time. We are on Rock 94.7, 1029 in Central Wisconsin. Can you tell I've done this before? <laughs> We're also, we broadcast on the internet at uh, rock947.com. There's a link where you can stream it. We also have an app the Rock 94.7 app. It's available in the Google Play Store and on the Apple Store, which is, uh, is it called the Apple Store? I'm, I'm an Android peasant. I, so and I, I am too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the iPhone app store, yeah. Apple app store. Um, so you can listen to the show that way. Um, I am on Facebook because I'm not very productive. I, I know I sound like I get a lot of stuff done at work, but I'm mostly playing around on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. I'm one of 7,000 Terry Stevens who are on there probably. <laughs> But um, this, the Scary Terry Saturday Nightmare, it has a Facebook page, and I, you can absolutely get a hold of me there and talk metal and stuff. And um, gosh, what else? I'm such an attention whore. There's got to be some other way to get a hold of me. I'm on Twitter, at TerryRock947. Um, let me think here. I think that just about does it. I, I can't give you my personal number. That would not end well. Um, <laughs> But yeah, man, I'm also on the after. I'm on in the afternoons on Rock 94.7, and um, I'm also on. Um, I know this is gonna sound crazy. I'm on a country station too, uh, 101.9 WDEZ. I got two kids and a house payment. I'll be on whatever um, station pays me. Damn baby. right. <laughs> you want me to do polka? I'll do polka. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not too proud, and that's no, why man, I like that's about cool. you. No, it's cool. I, I'm young, and I need the money. I'm not young, but I still need the money. Um, but <laughs> yeah, man, I'm a huge metalhead. Uh, if you love metal, if you love gaming, let's hang out sometime. Uh, one of the bands that's uh, coming to town for uh, for a show this coming Tuesday, they, they have challenged me to a duel. Really? So yeah, I'm trying to figure out what deck I'm going to bring to the party. It's either going to be, uh, I don't know, it might be Anarchist Cookbook. Yes, I named my decks. Nice. I am that nerdy. I, <laughs> I might bring the Anarchist Cookbook. I might bring, I don't know, that one's too me. It's not too mean. I I, the Anarchist Cookbook is what I'm leaning towards right now. That's my pet deck. 
Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good times. Nice. Good time. All right. You'll have to play me to find out what it does. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, you have a deck builder's toolkit now. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, Glenn actually has a convention, GlennCon. What? In Milwaukee. It's in Glendale, which is a suburb. Are of- you like an emperor down there, dude? <laughs> yes. I am the king of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. He's got a cape and a crown and the whole nine yards. No, uh, Glenn works for the board game barrister in Milwaukee, and uh, he's had GlennCon before. Before you worked at Board Game Barrister, yeah, yeah. And had uh, Shadowrun before it was cool. Had GlennCon before it was cool. He's got his own damn convention. <laughs> How cool is that? And the thing that you need to understand, and we've we've talked to our listeners about this, is when you go to GlennCon, it is a three day event: Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the amount of games that are going to be there for you to play, there is no number to them. It's a seven-foot-high wall by about 12 to 14 feet, thereabouts, of, of games. Damn, son. So, uh, it's, it's a free event to attend, as I recall, yes? It is absolutely free. Ab- okay. Aside from the, aside from the to, be, you know, to make my high school economics teacher happy, there are still the opportunity costs involved. Yes. So if you want to eat food, you have to you know pay for that. And if you want to buy other games that you've played, maybe that the board game barrister has, you're not going to get those for free. Well, but in order to do one thing, you have to not be doing another thing. So <laughs> that sounds like a good thing to do, though. I would do that. I, yeah. And it, it grows every year. You said last year you had over 300 people? Just about. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And I've, I've gone, I think I've gone twice. And I will be going this year. So definitely going to take part in the activities. And we should see if we can try to rig something up so we can do a do it live from GlenCon. What do you think? Yeah, something could be something could be made to happen. Yeah. My mixing board, thankfully, is very tiny. So I can actually kind of drag that along. We'll see if we can uh, put something together. So uh, speaking of which, uh, where can people find out more about you, Glenn, and your uh, movie reviews and more about Mistrunner? You can find me on the Facebook, uh, B-Movie Bunker, also Naked Hobo Productions, also Mr. Under the RPG. You can find me on Twitter, just follow at Naked Hobo, or you can find me, <laughs> Naked Hobo Productions, on YouTube, the B-Movie Bunker. And I've got NakedHobo.com backslash blog, where I actually post all of the stuff as well, and Mr.com for really outdated information about the game. <laughs> which you are working to update and you are working on a second edition of Mist Runner the RPG which I can't Correct. wait to see it can't wait to see it you know I will be uh, on the first uh, first list of people to uh, to back that uh, that new printing so you can count on that uh, all right. Uh, you can find out more about the Adventure Party, like I said before, by going to galacticnetcasts.com. There you can find all of our social media outlets, uh, the YouTube channel. You know, when we record this, it's a video uh, format, and then I, I, I strip the, the audio off of it, and then I edit it and make an audio podcast for you to listen to. So uh, you can check us out at galacticnetcasts slash I'm sorry, youtube.com slash galactic netcasts. Uh, we, have, we are on iTunes and Stitcher. Like I said, there's an audio version of this as well. You might be listening to that right now. Uh, you can, if you would, take a moment to, to, to give us a review on the show. Uh, you know, with, uh, what is it, with uh, Stitcher. It's thumbs up, thumbs, thumbs down. 
and with uh, iTunes, it's a star rating. Rate us how you feel we're doing on the show. I'm not going to beg you for a five-star rating. That's that's horseshit. Please only rate it based on these two guys because, like, I know I suck. Okay, oh, that's all good. Says the guy who does radio for a living. Screw you. <laughs> Um, just, uh, you give us a note, let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you like certain bits of the show, you know, we had a discussion before where we weren't sure if we were going to keep doing the news. We didn't really get any feedback. So we decided to split it up and do a review and a news story and, uh, just get you a little bit of, of each of those things. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to give us feedback. That feedback will kind of help shape the show and make it uh, a little bit better. Uh, so uh, please take the time to do that. I really appreciate it. Uh, you can also leave us feedback by emailing galacticnetcasts at gmail.com. You can go old school. You can call 805-328-3966. That's 805-328-3966. You can also text that number with a message as well. And uh, the other way that you can get a hold of us is if you go to galacticnetcasts.com, on the right-hand side of the screen, you'll notice a link so that if you have a microphone attached to your computer, you can just leave us an audio message that way. And that's immediately emailed to us, and we'll get that, and we can talk about it and uh, discuss what you got to say. So uh, really want to thank everybody for uh, coming and uh, joining us in <laughs> for this particular episode uh thank uh oh my god i've completely blown this whole exit <laughs> fix it in post fix it in post <laughs> I, I, if i could rename this show it, it would be fix it in post um let me start over with that thank gonna... you so much for joining the adventure party may your characters never die and your adventures always be epic Ep oh my god I epileptic ep epileptic <laughs> absolutely a lot of strobes in this uh, session <laughs> I'm going to name one of my magic decks, fix it in post. I'm going to do that. You I'm should. going to figure out how to do that. I have cloud post. Boom. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that closed one more time. So when I do the actual audio version, it'll actually sound like I did it right. Thank you so much for joining the adventure party. May our characters never die and your adventures always be epic. Thank you and good night. You have been listening to a presentation of GalacticNetcasts.com. For more about the show you just listened to, including how to subscribe, give us feedback, links to our social feeds, and more, please visit www.GalacticNetcasts.com. <laughs>